Yeah, I've been doing Agile for like 12 years now, and I'm very opinionated about it. <laughs> cool. Hey, good. Well, I'll just listen to you and make snarky comments along the way. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Coming to you live from space. We also have Jameson Dance. Provo, Utah, less exciting than space, but still exciting. And Joe Eames. Uh, Utah as well. Somewhere in the desert of Utah. <laughs> Somewhere in the deserts of Utah. Uh, I'm Charles Maxwood <laughs> from devchat.tv. Uh, you may notice that's a little bit different. I'm going to have that website up this week, and I'm going to start moving all the podcasts over to it. So then you can follow everything that's going on over there. The site is up. It's just not complete. So uh, you can go and look at it and see how pretty it is, but that's about all you can get at this point. So anyway, let's, let's go ahead and jump in, talk about agile development. What is you guys' experience with Agile development? What methodologies have you used? And um, have you worked at many places that follow an Agile methodology or try to adopt Agile in some way? So I'll go first because I probably have the least experience of it. I feel like I'm kind of, ITV is kind of a post-Agile place. We've tried Agile stuff and for lots of rapid prototyping with um, without well-defined like specific features, it kind of... It, it kind of struggled a little bit. So um, we so we, we did like points and it was kind of a Kanban type thing where we had a board and we had the note cards and moved them around and stuff. Um, but but we are a lot less formal now. Um, it, it wasn't a good fit for us. And I don't know if that was because we were doing it wrong or because of the, the way that we work and what we're working on. But um, it, it was probably uh, several months of that. And then it kind of ended a little bit after I got here. Maybe I destroyed it. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. Agile wrecker, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I wasn't agile enough. Uh, what about you, AJ? Um, I have pretty little experience, too. Like here, we, we've done a lot of different uh, things that I guess fit into the, the agile buzzword, like We've done stand-up meetings. We've done um, uh, Scrummy, you know, the little post-it note website. Um, we've done a bunch of different things, but it's just like the workflow changes from being something that's intensely urgent to then being stuff that doesn't have like a secure deadline. And I don't know. It's just been really hard to find a good workflow. So I'm I'm interested to to hear more about uh, you and Joe's experience. Okay, Joe. Well, like I think it was uh, 2001 uh, when my company uh, trans uh, we transferred to its practices to Scrum, and we went through a training process. And uh, every company I've worked at since then has practiced some form of Agile, pretty much a, some variation of Scrum. Uh, some of them more Kanban, less Kanban than others. So I've been doing Agile now for 12 years, mm -hmm. and almost almost 12 years. And uh, basic math skills escape me. I guess that would be 11 years. So, uh, you know, I've seen it a lot of different incarnations, big companies, small companies. Um, and I tell, you know, companies that I go to or interview with that uh, Agile is a requirement for me, which uh, kind of brings me back to something that Jameson was talking about over at ITV, where I, I'm some, somewhat familiar with what ITV, how they operate. And, uh, you know, I would say that uh, they're doing Agile. They're just doing their own flavor of Agile. So mm -hmm. interesting. 
So I've worked at a couple of places where we practiced various forms of agile. Um, I have I, I worked at one company where I was the team lead, and the the process was pretty much uh, when I got there it was the CEO wants this go do it, and uh, it it moved pretty quickly from that into more of an agile setup, and a lot of that was because I could push it that way. Um, another, and then when I left there, I went to, um, uh, what are public engines, crimereports.com. And, uh, when I was working there, um, we were, they, they were kind of in flux. Like they kept changing the methodology that they were using, um, and didn't really adopt a lot of agile processes, but I was there and, uh, a friend of mine, David Brady was there. And so we started, um, kind of leaning on things to try and get things into an agile, um, methodology and, um, in the process, um, we convinced our boss to not only let us go to Agile Roots, which is a local conference in Salt Lake City, um, and I'll put a link in the show notes. I think it's this weekend. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I've got a ton of stuff going on this weekend, so I'm not going to be able to make it, but um, I wish I could. Anyway, um, so we, we convinced our boss to let us go, and then he decided, well, heck, it's right up the street because it literally was <laughs> like a half a mile away on the same road that, that our office was on. So um, we convinced my boss to go with us and to bring the entire team, and so we all spent two days there. And when we came back, he, he was totally on board, and so we started adopting a lot of the Agile stuff. Um, so, so real quick, why don't why don't you just go ahead and, and give us a definition of what Agile means? Because um, as far as I've understood it, it basically means instead of planning things out completely for three years and then working on it for five to get it wrong, you work on it a week at a time, right? Okay. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is go to agilemanifesto.org. And uh, it talks about this is the manifesto for Agile software development. And um, basically, here, I'll just read it. It's really short. It says, we are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. Through this work, we have come to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, responding to change over following a plan. That is, while there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. And so I, I think if you're trying to boil it down to waterfall and not waterfall, I think you really miss a lot of the value that's in, in agile development. Um, for me, the big value in agile development is that you get to focus on these things. And so I'll just, I'll just go into this real briefly. I know Joe's going to have stuff to add, but um, I think the big thing is the first one, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Um, the agile processes really open up communication about what you're working on and why you're doing it. And I, I think when you miss out on some of that, you really do yourself a disservice. You wind up rebuilding things over and over again because they're not done right. You're not communicating with the people who are building uh, pieces that are adjacent to yours. And so you really start to, um, you lose a lot of value when you're focused on the process as opposed to focus on communication. You have anything to add there, Joe? No, I, that's a great that's a great summation of that. I think. So the other one is working software over comprehensive documentation. I, I think that's I, I think that's pretty self explanatory. You want to deliver stuff that works um, all the ta- all the time, you know. So uh, you don't commit unless it's working. You focus on delivering things that work and and do what they're supposed to do. It just it it, it just I don't know. I don't know what else to add to that. So um, I don't know how many um, of you guys uh, have worked in environments where documentation became was, was paramount. I, I spent a short stint at a government contractor many, many, many years ago. And uh, the reason it was a short stint was because of how they operated. 
and uh, they told me I actually wasn't there for this this part of this phase of it, but they started out with uh, six months or a year of just documenting the requirements of the system. And so they ended up with, uh, I can't remember how many thousands of pages of documentation about how the system that they were going to build was going to work. And it was uh, an inventory system. And then when they were, you know, eight months, 10 months, 12 months into it, the customer's uh, representative on their team was getting so tired of all this, they finally went to the... Uh, branch. It was a branch of the government they were working for and said, hey, we really need to start building the software. And so they finally said, okay, and they took all this documentation. <laughs> and they put it on a shelf and nobody ever opened up the documentation again. And they actually built, at that point, started building the software that people wanted. Not that they did a great job at it, but they realized right from the get-go that all the documentation they had done was completely useless and that they were trying to build software that somebody actually wanted to use and could use. And so, you know, for people that have never been in that situation, it's and especially in this day and age where we frequently don't see that like we did back in the 90s um, and, and even more so 80s and earlier on. You don't you, it's hard to comprehend what it was like when you would spend six months, eight months, 12 months writing documentation. You spend more effort on documentation than on the software, uh, at least it seemed like. Yeah, and I've also seen it where, um, and, and this this kind of leans more towards some of the methodologies than necessarily what it says in the manifesto, but I've seen um, teams basically get in and they have this development cycle where they, you know, they build, 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 and then they have a big release after like six months or a year, and if you tried to use any of the build systems in the interim, they wouldn't work. And, uh, you know, and so it's the same it, instead of documentation at that point. I mean, they're just totally missing the picture of working software. The other thing is, is they, they do what Joe's talking about and they have this this upfront. This is what we're going to build. And so they don't look at what they're actually building for six months. You know, they just they just, you know, crank it out. And at the end of six months, they have released what they designed six months ago without ever getting any validation that that's actually what they needed to build. And right. so you 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 wind up running um you know halfway across the country and you find out that you went the wrong way. It just it doesn't it doesn't do you any good. And yeah, I think I think a lot of people don't realize the contribution that agile has made to the software environment in ways that we haven't uh, noticed that all the companies that aren't doing what they would consider to be agile uh, are still heavily influenced by the the agile movement. You know, mm -hmm. companies like I said that do this six and 12 months uh, of documentation before they build software, you just, nobody's doing that anymore because the industry as a whole has realized that was a bad thing. And that came about because of, you know, the agile movement, or at least it was uh, document, not documenting it, that's a bad word. <laughs> but they, they, they encoded that knowledge, right? And said, hey, documentation is really not that uh, important. And that word spread and now companies, they don't do that. Even if they're like, as Jameson was talking about, oh, we're not doing agile methodology because we're not doing any recognized agile method. Uh, still, they don't, they haven't fallen back to the old bad habits that we had in the 80s and the 90s as an industry. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to say a couple things. I came to software development in the post agile world. So I think a lot of things um, I just take for granted that are, are the way you do things. It's not agile, it's like how you develop software. You know, it's, it doesn't have a name, it's just what you do. Um, so I agree with Joe that lots of this is a product of agile coming about. And it's kind of weird to me that it wasn't always this way. You know, it just seems like the way you do stuff. But I also wanted to 
ask about the difference between Agile the manifesto and Agile the product because there are lots <laughs> of people making lots of money off of the word Agile. Right. Um, and there's all kinds. So I think it's funny that the manifesto uh, says like people over process or whatever. Isn't yeah. that what it says? And then there are all these. You can go out and spend tons of money on Agile tools, you know, like um, I don't know. So, so how do you differentiate between things that are actually Agile and things that are like um, built around the buzzword of Agile? I'll, I'll let Joe jump in on this first. I, I have huge opinions on this, but <laughs> well, I that's certainly something that I've often joked about with coworkers about, you know, we don't value or we value the interactions over the tools and that there's so many tools out there. But uh, on the other hand, when you yeah, try exactly. to do, yeah, but if you try to do Agile, especially if that are in, in a remote team, you, those tools can be, are very enabling, right? So whether you're using physical artifacts, you know, whiteboards, Kanban boards, whatever, um, swim lanes, boards, you know, uh, sticky notes up on uh, everywhere, plastered everywhere, or using something virtual, the tools are definitely an enabling piece. So I, I think they have a lot of value. I've used a lot of different uh, tools uh, for Agile uh, of different kinds, and uh, I, I've seen a lot of value out of them. But uh, you definitely have to realize that it's not the tool that makes the process. It's not even the process that makes Agile what it is. It's not the tool that makes Agile what it is. It's what you guys do as a development team, um, not and not just as a development team, just just developers, but as an entire product team. It's 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 what you guys do and how you build your software. That's what what's make makes Agile Agile, not the tools you're using. The, there's this uh, great quote in some video, and I wish I could find the link. I looked for it for a little while where there's two people talking, and the one guy says to the other guy, do you do Agile? He says, yes, we do Agile. We do the scrums, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have stand-up meetings, so we're Agile. So, right, exactly. So, yeah, so my, my take is, is pretty much along the same lines. The way that I see it is that you have the Agile principles, which are kind of the core um, the core values that, that guide software development if you are going to follow an agile whatever an agile process I guess um, then you have all of these tools and methodologies and um, you know people trying to sell you on all these different things and ultimately um, what you need to do is you need to find the tools that facilitate these things that that, that uh, make it easier. So these aren't software tools. These aren't s tools that let you build software. They're tools that help make it easier for individuals and interactions to do what they need to do. So um, they make the individual's job easier. They make the interactions occur. They make the interactions clearer. Um, you know, you have con continuous integration that that allows you to focus on working software. You know, um, you have uh, you have different project management tools that not only help you manage and define the interactions between the team members and the different pieces that they're working on, but allow the customers to come in and say, "This is what I want. This is not what I want." Um, if it, and and so they're they're agile tools in the sense that they help make this job easier. They they support these principles. And if they don't support the principles, then they're not the right kind of agile tools for you. And so, for example, there are some project management tools out there. Um, I don't necessarily want to pick on them, but they are the big names in agile project management tools, and I can't stand them. And the reason is, is because they're so complicated that you wind up going back over to the right side of the, the these things where it says the things on the left have more value than the things on the right. 
where you spend more time fiddling with your tool than you actually spend interacting with the, the members of your team and communicating through the tool. That's why your team has to build the tool. <laughs> yeah, now we're going to get into not invented here, right? <laughs> So um, so that's another thing. The Agile Manifesto doesn't talk about the other Agile like quotes you hear, like, um, yeah, not invented here, or you ain't going to need it, or um, dry. dry. Yeah, so there's a bunch of other stuff as well that's it's just seems like pragmatic, not necessarily. Ruby didn't exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a lot of these conversations took place before Ruby was around. I think... I think the Ruby community adopted a lot of them, maybe a little more vocally um, with within the community than some of the other communities out there. But I think I, I don't think these conversations are necessarily even unique to Rubyus. But ultimately, you know, again, it comes back to um, dry. You know, again, you can, you can feed it back in here. It doesn't it doesn't add directly, you know, to the conversation about working software. But ultimately, it, it, it is a principle that helps you get working software and maintain it. Um, and so it's important. But, you know, ultimately, you are trying to figure out how you can make these things occur. You know, you're trying to figure out what you can put in place to help facilitate these interactions, what you can do to make sure your software is working, what you can do to uh, get your customer more involved and have them collaborating with you. And then, um, you know, make sure that you're you're adapting to changes that you see. And so you're going to you'll see a lot of different methodologies that bring in these ideas that tell you, OK, so you should be having scrum every morning. Why? Well, it's not so you can stand up and beat your chest and say, this is what I did. It's so you can stand up and, and if you have a problem, you can ask. If you if you want to let people know that they can move ahead and connect to something that you just built, then then you do that. But, you know, it's about interaction. It's about the communication. Um, you know, if you're having retrospectives, you sit down and you say, OK, um, this is what we've been doing. These are some of the things that we tried out, which is built into just about every methodology I've seen is where you actually sit down and talk about the methodology. You say, we're going to try this new thing for a week or two or three or ten or whatever, however long you think it's going to take to really get it. And then you sit down and you start talking about it. Well, when we do pair programming, we've noticed that it works really well under these circumstances and not so well under these other circumstances. And then you adapt so that your your process becomes better and better suited to what you're doing. And, and that's what Agile's about. So, you know, ultimately, whether or not you're going to have, um, man, this is a long rant. Uh, so, so whether or not you're following an exact methodology or whether you're, um, you know, picking up pieces from extreme programming and pieces from Scrum, and pieces from Kanban and pieces from somewhere else and something else that you read about on the web, you know, ultimately you're, you're looking for something that will allow you to do these things correctly so that you can build better software. That's great. Great. Some great way to sum that up. But, so, but, but the oh, tools are, are just that they're just tools. They're just things that make it easier for you to get there. So we're on the JavaScript Jabber podcast. How does, uh, how does agile relate directly to JavaScript? Is it just that someone needs to make a pivotal tracker in JavaScript and then it relates to JavaScript or, <laughs> well, my own personal take on the relationship of JavaScript and the need for Agile in JavaScript development kind of comes down to the whole, um, you know, and maybe this doesn't necessarily apply as much if you're a Node developer and you're developing in Node, but uh, if you're a browser developer, you know, you're doing JavaScript in the browser, the whole point of doing JavaScript in the browser is because you're enhancing the user experience, right? Um, if you weren't trying to enhance the user experience, you're actually, there's probably, uh, it's probably quicker to build things using a server-side language than it is to build them using uh, JavaScript. 
what you're getting out of JavaScript is a better browser experience for your users. So that goes back to this whole working software, you know, customer collaboration, responding to change, uh, all those principles of Agile. That's what JavaScript is delivering to the industry is, as a whole. JavaScript is bringing uh, an enhanced user experience to the industry. It's quicker delivery over the web. And so Agile is, uh, JavaScript I think is uh, a way to take that, those Agile principles and just keep applying them and keep iterating as an industry so that we're producing better software. So they don't directly relate, but the principles involved in doing JavaScript uh, development, enhancing that user experience is kind of what the Agile Manifesto is all about, is actually delivering software people want, not delivering software they don't want. Yeah. So you, you talked about um, how it applies a lot to the browser if you're doing UI stuff because that's things that end users are using. I think it applies just as much to um, internal services or back-end services that maybe someone else in the company is consuming. We have lots of small teams that are working on different services, and our customers are the other people on the engineering team. Mm -hmm. So there's still, I mean, we still have to have communication with our customers. We have to um, iterate quickly and, and build stuff that they actually need and, and still apply all those principles, even though our user base is a lot smaller and a lot more specific. Um, they're probably a lot more understanding of technical problems, though, so there are some differences for sure, but um, I think it definitely applies when you're doing back-end server-side stuff as well. Oh, of course Honestly. it does, but uh, I think what Joe's point is, is that with the browser thing, you know, you are directly facing non-technical customers most of the time, and the other oh, yeah, thing is, yeah. is the feedback loop can be so tight because all you really have to do is make your change and then tell them to go load it in their browser again. And so you, you really good. get That's that good. quick uh, iteration and fast customer feedback. And Absolutely. It, yeah, and it's really easy to communicate it as well because ultimately you can just show it. So, so uh, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is there anything else we want to add before we start talking about methodologies? Um, I had a question, I guess. I don't know where this would fit in. But the, the whole idea of um, to do something right, you've got to write it three times. Uh -huh. Does that fit into this conversation at all? Does that, if I have to write it four times, does that make me dumber than everybody else? <laughs> yes, that means you got it, you got it writer because <laughs> you did it one more time. We all knew you were special, Joe. <laughs> um, so, so again, I, I, I keep jumping in. I have an opinion on all of these things. Um, so one part of you might say you're really agile, able to jump in quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know Joe will have an opinion on this too because I'm going to talk about TDD. Um, but basically, you know, building it right the first time a lot of times does mean uh, writing it and then rewriting it. Um, so for example, you know, TDD's mantra is um, red green refactor. And I know a lot of TDDists that do red green move on. And uh, you know, ultimately, if you do the red green refactor, and and this is something that came up when we had Kent Beck on Ruby Rogues. Um, he was talking about how code is meant to communicate um, with the next person that's going to have to come along and and change your code or you know make it do something else. And and that's really where that comes in is red green refactor. So if you consider that your code is an interaction with developers in the future, even with yourself in the future. Then, then Agile applies directly to it because, again, that's that first principle, in individuals and interactions over tools and what, what was it, processes and tools. Right. And, uh, you know, so, so your code is actually an interaction and not just with the machine. And so, you know, if you have to write it three or four times to get it right, um, then that's fine, you know, as long as it's in that refactor phase. If you have to write it three or four times to make your customer happy with it, then you need to start looking at how you're interacting with your customer and how they're collaborating. Because 
ultimately you should be able to get pretty close to what they want from what they're telling you. And if, if not, then again, that's when you come back, you review your process and you see where you're going to go. But if you have to write it three or four times to make it work, I don't see a problem with that. So uh, I have a different take on what the uh, statement, you know, you have to write it three times to get it right. To me, that that is uh, applying to the iterative process of building software, which iterative, iterative development isn't uh, unique to Agile. You can do an iterative waterfall process, you know, just do a whole bunch of small waterfalls and still be doing iterative development and still improve your process. It feels but, like you'd hit the rocks three times, though. Yeah, exactly. On the way down. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, if you're iterating, you know, I've been, the seems like the projects that I've been at that worked the best are often the ones that didn't end up at all like the first version of the product that we showed to the customer was like. The customer's giving this feedback and saying, well, you know, I want it to be this way. And then you, you change it. Uh, you, you put that initial version and they see it and they say, oh, I actually want it differently. So then you change it again and then they start using it and then they realize as they're using it, they, they really wanted it in an entirely different way. And so that you write it three times to get it right statement, I think really applies to agile development because or iterative development as a whole because you are your iterations should actually cause you to write your software multiple times. I'm not I'm rarely surprised if I end up rewriting every line of code that I've written at some point. Uh, more than once. That, that's fair changes. enough, because you do learn lessons as you go. Right. The, the In fact, another thing that's kind of interesting about that is, ha, have any of you done a big, uh, like the big rewrite, the major rewrite of your entire application on anything? Sort yeah. of everything. So I, I've done that a few times, and have you ever noticed that you tend to do things maybe a little bit more intelligently and a little more quickly the second or third time? And and I think that's another illustration of this point where, you know, you figure out this kind of thing didn't really work last time, or, you know, I had to work around it this way this time, so maybe I'll try it this way this time in order to make it go. And, and it's the same kind of thing where you iterate over your, in this case, your entire application. So right. I think that idea of embracing the fact that you might have to redo stuff, or I think it's just acknowledging that you're valuable and you're not omnipotent and don't know everything. When you do stuff, of course, you're going to learn better ways to do it. And you might not know where the pain points will be until you try to do them. And so I think that's where the value in rewriting stuff comes from because you've already done it once. You already know what sucks about it so you can fix it. Yep. Um, and I mean, if you can get away without having to rewrite it, then that's obviously better. But if you do need to rewrite it again, then it, of course it's going to be better because you learned stuff and yeah. that's because you didn't know it already. So Absolutely. Now I'm an Agile consultant. That'll be $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few of those. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny, too, because you, you meet some of these folks that, that are agile you know, consultants. They go out and they help teams make the transition to, to agile development. Um, and it really, you know, they're really usually very personable people. They explain things really well. And it's it's almost like they, they kind of have the agile manifesto in the way that they approach the teams. And so, you know, they're, they're iterative and and, uh, you know, value the individuals on the team over the processes and, you know, all of the things that we're talking about, you know, they apply it to the team. And, and I think it's really interesting to see that Agile, the Agile principles apply to much more than just software. So you practice so. Agile, Agile parenting with your children? <laughs> <laughs> only well, only, know, only then, before I then, lose my then temper. Then they'll call you the scrum master and they'll have different connotations. Yeah. <laughs> they be like cracking the whip standing over them. I know a lot of companies, uh, companies that I've been at and uh, seen, 
they practice agile outside of their software uh, department as well as inside of their software department. Yeah, um, it kind of brings me to uh, the Lean Startup. Um, Eric Reese, are you guys familiar with his stuff at all? I've heard about it. I haven't read it. I've heard people who have read it, so that doesn't really count. So, so the principles are a lot the same, where basically you do a lot of customer customer development, make sure you understand what people want, and then you get a minimum viable product, which is just the minimum thing that you could possibly build that people will want and want to buy. And then and then you start that feedback. So then you start getting that information back from the, the customers about what they want and you iteratively basically build what they want. Um, and, and it's kind of an interesting approach. But yeah, you get you get these business practices that are effectively based on agile development. Yeah, that concept of a minimum viable product is definitely one of those ones that should be uh, a, a ready phrase in the in the mind of every agile developer, uh, getting that product out to the person as quickly as possible. From a software development standpoint, of course, that's you know what we focus on, but we want our businesses to have that same uh, goal in mind. Because if the business doesn't have that goal in mind, it's it definitely is harder for the engineering team to have that to do that. I was at a recent company who uh, spent I don't know three years before they put their initial version in front of any external customer and. The initial deployment, of course, just went horrible. They had no idea what resolutions the customer is going to be using at, and they designed their whole entire application around high resolutions and not realizing that their customers were going to be using a lot of small resolutions on really weak machines because they'd never bothered to put it out in front of an external real user. Real user. Yeah, the business didn't I want appreciate. to. It didn't want to expose the, those customers. They were worried, oh, we only want to expose the polished product. Yeah, but that, that's the approach that I took when I, when I was uh, – I had some suspicions that I was diabetic. And so I avoided going to the doctor because I didn't want to know. Guess how many problems that solved? Because it's the same thing, right? We don't want to know that this is failing. No, you want to know it's failing right up front. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of the agile stuff is based around that, you know. That's why you're getting the customer involved from the beginning is so that you can figure out that what you're building is the right thing you know, two days in instead of two months in because right. it's expensive to pay developers for two months. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you want to write the right code. It could be beautiful code, but if it doesn't do the right thing, it's useless. Right. And that has nothing to do with what flavor of Agile you're following or if you're following something you don't even think is a flavor of Agile but still follows the same principles. Yep, absolutely. So what methodologies have you guys used? It, it sound, we, we mentioned Kanban and Scrum. Are there any others that you guys have tried? Or Oh, wow. Is that how you pronounce it? I sounded like an idiot. I've heard Every it can, time I've said Kanban that word. and Kanban, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I, they're on the wiki article, I believe. They have a pronunciation guide, and they say Kanban's okay, Kanban's okay, and I think they say Kanban is okay, but not Kanban. I can't remember. One of the two is not acceptable. Three of the four are acceptable. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's my favorite song. <laughs> so I've only done Scrum, uh, Kanban, and then just various flavors, you know, personal flavors of those two. Yeah, I've, I'm pretty much in the same boat, though. I have done basically Scrum that borrowed things from XP, like paired programming. XP yeah. is extreme, extreme programming for the unfamiliar... Yeah, isn't isn't XP just like a rumor? You know, it's like a a myth. <laughs> I've never so, I never met anybody who's done XP. Can you talk about the difference between XP and Agile? Because it's kind of fuzzy to me. So extreme programming is well, is XP like Agile with swords. Okay, <laughs> Agile <laughs> with swords. Yeah, there you go. Extreme. 
Yeah, an extreme, extreme, extreme programming is when you put poison at the end of the swords. <laughs> but uh, so, so basically, what you're asking in my mind is, what's the difference between agile programming or agile development and agile methodologies? Because I, I think there's okay. kind of a, a spectrum there. Um, so the agile, agile development or agile software development is basically um, an endeavor to follow these principles in order to write great software. Um, agile methodologies are a set of practices that are designed to make it easier to achieve the highest level of agile software development. And so um, you get a collection of, pro of, of things that you do that, that are supposed to make it so that you, you know, effectively are being more communicative that you have the customer involved and things like that. And so they, they give you um, sometimes rigid um, practices to follow. So extreme programming, I don't know all of the tenets, but you know the one that a lot of people talk about is pair programming, um, but they also uh, espouse TDD. Um, they have some pretty rigid rules for getting your customer um, representative involved and what their role is. And, uh, you know, they have some pretty, pretty heavily defined roles that different people play in order to represent um, each of the different pieces that need to be in place in order for you to effectively um, benefit from the principles of agile software development. So it's processes and tools and a plan to help you value individuals and interactions over processes and tools. I know it sounds kind of backward, doesn't it? Okay. But, but effectively, yes. Um, I, I think there has to be some level of organization, though. In, you know, you can't be agile just by winging it. I, I think you have to have some idea of how you're going to implement and facilitate the different uh, principles there. So, you know, while it sounds kind of funny to say that you're going to have a plan, I think you need one. Yeah. You know, and, and XP was, the, I believe, the very first flavor of agile. Uh, Scrum came shortly after that. And... XP, they were really trying at that point to really change the face of development and a lot of problems that were being encountered at that point that Agile was meant to solve were things that XP specifically tried to overcome, uh, askew, get rid of. So, you know, very little documentation, a customer collaboration. They had these roles defined for the customers to be on board and be around the development team all the time. And uh, they have, you know, very specific names. And when you go and you do estimations, they actually have this very prescriptive, they call it the game. Uh, and the customers and the engineering team play this game in order to estimate uh, all, the, all the pieces that are going to be built in the next sprint. And it's very, very prescribed. Uh, Scrum isn't any, really any different. If you look at the difference between Scrum and XP, besides the fact that you're not doing necessarily, don't have to be doing uh, paired programming, it's a lot of the same stuff. They just put different names on it. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes the the order or structure is a little bit different. But yeah, you're you're doing a lot of the same things. You just might be doing them at a different time or in a different place. But yeah, um, you know, with Scrum, you have the Scrum Master, and and I don't remember what the role is in XP, but yeah, it's basically the same thing. And you're yeah, you're doing a lot of it. I I, I really do like a lot of the processes just because it it opens things up and allows you to to really kind of explore where you want to go. And the, there are a lot of people out there that will tell you that if you're not following every little thing that extreme programming prescribes and you're not doing extreme programming. But ultimately, um, I think if you adopt extreme programming and then you take more of a measured approach to it saying, okay, this is working, this isn't working, and start doing the, you know, retroactively saying, okay, we're going to try and adapt it this way to see if this will work better for us. 
and eventually figuring out what works best for your team, I think you'll get more out of it than just doing straight vanilla, strict extreme programming. But it seems like the scrum practitioners are more tolerant of that attitude. Yes. Uh, again, like I said, I think uh, XP practitioners are unicorns. I don't know if they exist at, at all, but <laughs> the, it's, it seems like scrum. And if developed... they do, they stab you with their horn like unicorns. <laughs> they do, <laughs> like, like, like unicorns do. Uh, but it seems like uh, Scrum kind of developed as people saw what the X, way the XP worked and thought, but that seems a little extreme, mm -hmm. uh, no pun intended. And so, you know, let's do something that is following most of the same things, but let's soften it up a little bit, make it easier for companies to adopt these practices. And mm -hmm. so Scrum, I, and I, I think I've seen in a lot of places the widespread feeling of practitioners is you're doing agile, whether you're doing every exact thing that's involved, even, even in Scrum, you're, you can still say, well, we're doing our version of Scrum. And a lot of the books will tell you that you, you should be changing the practice to fit your organization. So if one piece doesn't work, then do something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only other thing that I would add in here, and this is going to be a little bit controversial, but that is, is if you are setting things up so that you can, you know, follow a methodology, whether it's Scrum or something like Scrum or XP or whatever, um, if you find, and I've seen this on teams, if you find that the adoption is working really well, the team is really gelling except for that one guy, then your problem may not be your process. Your problem may be that one guy, and it, it's, it's okay to let him go, honestly. Right. Because um, having that level of collaboration and cooperation and having everybody on board is worth way more than even an expert in whatever field you're working in. Absolutely. And one other thing that I want to jump in and talk about is just, you know, the people who are making the transition. Now, most of the people I see making the transition from something to Agile, they're transitioning from we don't have any idea what the heck we're doing. And we don't really have a process to um, into Agile. I, I very rarely see anybody have a rigid uh, waterfall methodology anymore that they're trying to follow and then realize, oh, gee, we should do Agile because it gives us these benefits. Yeah, I think in this day and age, what you most like, what most commonly happens is people are practicing uh, a methodology that they don't really call a methodology. But it's, you know, it's what they do and they actually have prescribed methods and things, you know, practices mm -hmm. that they follow and they're really all very inspired by Agile because they've, you know, they're developers, whatever, either just through reading or having been at places or doing a lot of the same things that Agile does, but they're not really doing a, a very easily recognized form of Agile. And so then they try to become a little bit more formal in an attempt to make their development go a little bit better. Yeah, my experience has been both. I've also seen it where they have a lot of rigid policies around different things that are that are more reminiscent of uh, Waterfall, where you have these major change requests and these huge, big upfront designs that are being done um, behind closed doors that you know kind of get dropped on the development team when they're ready, and so then they have a novel to go through and then implement. And, uh, you know, they realized that, you know, they, they could get more from their developers if they adapted more of an agile standpoint. Um, but most of the time, it's, it's more along the lines of what Joe explained. And, uh, you know, there's somewhere along that continuum of um, waterfall and agile and, you know, making that transition. But it's, it's really making the transition is hard. And what ultimately you have to do in order to make that transition is you, in my opinion, the only way I've seen it work is when the whole team adopts the whole methodology. And then from there, you can iterate from that starting point. But you have to adopt the entire methodology and do it for at least a month so that you have an idea 
idea of what is going on and where you're headed and what's going to work for you and what isn't. Because if you're not doing that, if you don't do it for at least a month, then you'll miss a lot of these things and you will run into resistance. And that, that month is just enough lead time to get over the resistance and really see the benefits of what you're trying to do. If you don't, then you know you may find resistance on something that will ultimately benefit you once you get used to it. Absolutely. A big failure point for companies adopting Agile is just the lack of a uh, full commitment to it. Yep. So I, I just wanted to say one last thing. I made some disparaging remarks about XP. Those were joking. I've never really done it, so I can't have a real opinion about it. But I think the idea, the main idea behind Agile seems to me to be that there could be better ways to do stuff than the, than we're doing. And it proposes some specific ways that they think are better. But just that idea that you, you can you can improve this process, I think that's really valuable. Um, and I think that doesn't have to end with, okay, we did the things on the Agile Manifesto, so we're done. Or we did the things on the XP list, so, we're, so we've improved it and we're done. I think you can always find better stuff. And that means you'll find worse stuff, too. If you try stuff and it doesn't work, at least you know now. So Yeah, some yeah. of the worst, worst development I've seen was following a very easily recognizable Scrum process, but there was parts of the the, the principles underneath it that uh, they were missing. You know, they weren't following the manifesto as much as they were following Scrum practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other thing is is that uh, in a lot of cases, um, oh, I totally my mind totally went blank. <laughs> um, well, sorry, you can guys. be agile about your implementation of agile stuff, right? If you're valuing the results over the actual process of agile development, then you can be like meta agile, you know. And well, I don't know. I think there's value in that. Yeah, that's what I was going to jump in and say is that you need to be doing your retrospectives, which is another meeting. Um, but ultimately what it is, is you sit down and you talk about your process and then you figure out the pieces that you want to, you know, experiment with or the pieces that don't seem to be working well. And so you say, okay, we're going to try this for this week. And then, and then you go back and you have a retrospective on it and say, this worked well for us for this, this worked well for this didn't work well for us, you know, figure out why, see if there's a better way. And, um, you know, ultimately doing that, having that practice is just really important for, um, iteratively figuring out what works for you in your agile practice and then moving ahead with it. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, I think a, a few of us need to wrap this up, um, right around 11. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in and get us into the picks. Um, Joe, why don't you start us off with the picks this week? Okay, cool. So, um, because, uh, we're talking about agile, I wanted to pick, uh, DHH's book rework. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good, uh, book and a lot of, uh, agile principles involved in it. And on the same note, uh, James Shore is, uh, went through a Kickstarter project and put it together this, uh, let's code TDD project that will be releasing sometime in July where he's uh, recording and screencasting himself just writing a project using TDD, but it's uh, JavaScript. Uh -huh. So that's going to be very interesting. Uh, that's my second pick. My third pick is a book called uh, Resurrection, which is an Amazon uh, ebook. I don't think it's available in print, but it's only a couple of bucks. A sci-fi novel, uh, a very cool, very cool book. So if you're looking for a good sci-fi read and you have a good e-reader, Resurrection. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks? Microphone. Mute oh, button. yeah, thank you. That's right. That was the mute button. Um, my shave this morning. Best shave of my life. Uh -huh. um, so I got this Mer Mercure double-edged razor. I might have even talked about this before one time, did I? I don't know. Nope. Double-edged uh, razor. That sounds like a, a sword in miniature. Yeah, it's kind of like that, except not really at all. Um, <laughs> it's it's just like the old-school kind of razor that your grandpa would have used or something. And uh, I got this kit off of Amazon that has the razor and 
and a brush and, and some shave soap and then like 10 different brands of blades so that I could try them all and figure out like which one works best. And so, so past- I, ha- I have to ask if, if it's something my grandfather would have used, is that something you strop on the le- leather before you use it? Those are the uh, single edged ones usually. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's not the straight razor. It's the safety razor. Of course, the real men, they don't want to call it a safety razor. So they call it a double edge razor, <laughs> a danger <laughs> razor. Um, but the first time I used it, I cut myself up pretty good. And then I watched this video on YouTube of this guy in Vegas that's showing his brother or somebody how to shave. He's like, I promised you when you got here to Vegas, I was going to show you how to shave. It's like so. Um, <laughs> but but he's got a good technique. And, and um, so I started doing that. And I this morning was the first morning where I got like baby smooth, soft skin and no nicks. So I've, I finally started to master the skill of it. I love it. I'll have to look at that because I bought a double-edged razor. It wasn't one of these fancy ones like you have. It was quite a bit cheaper, but I had a horrible experience. So maybe I'll try this and do it again. Well, you you gotta you gotta shave with the grain the first go. Like that's really important. You can't shave against the grain at all. So if like you've got one of those little curly patches where your air your hair swirls around. You just I kinda, like a hundred of yeah. And each of my so, hairs like points in a different direction. So I have that problem on my neck. I don't have it on my face so much, but on my neck I have that problem. But it's just you got to pay attention. You got to make sure that you go with the grain, and then on the second pass, then you can go kind of sideways. You never want to go against it because you don't need to go against it to get like baby soft. You just need to go like sideways, like a forty-five degree angle from the grain, and you do that. Yeah. Watch I'll, I'll the YouTube video. Yeah, next time I see AJ, he's going to have a four o'clock shadow. <laughs> well, if I'm not here next time, it's because I slipped my throat on accident trying this. So, <laughs> Watch the video, then you'll be the an expert. The danger razor got me. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> all right, Jameson, what are your picks? Um, all right, I'm going to go with four picks. The first one is XCOM Enemy Unknown. It's a really old strategy game. The old game is amazing too. It came out in 1993. But there's a remake that I I, uh, saw some stuff at E3 about and it looks so good. The original one was part of my childhood and this one will be part of my adulthood. Um, You basically build up this base with with this army of guys and then you send them out to fight aliens in little missions Mm -hmm. and you develop really, or at least I develop relationships with the, the guys that I send out. You know, like I like them and make up personalities for them and then they all die and you feel really bad because it's like Bubba the farmer who you recruited who got shot by an alien it's not just some nameless goon that you're commanding but that looks great the next one is a website called 12factor.net and it's all about how to build good service oriented um, apps so how, how to build great services basically we're doing a lot of services at ITV and we're uh, running into some of the pain points of doing it so this has been a really good resource for us to uh, improve it stuff it's by I think it's by some people by Heroku because behind Heroku because they um, link to a lot of Heroku articles and talk about deploying to Heroku a little bit. It's not like how to deploy to Heroku. It's more general, mm-hmm. but it, it looks like a great resource and it's really helped us. And the next one is a website called nodemanual.org. If you've ever been frustrated by browsing the node docs, this is another good solution. The thing I picked last week, Dash, it went to 30 bucks instead of free, like as soon as I picked it. So I'm going to unpick that and pick nodemanual.org. It also has a bunch of tutorials on Node. So it's like docs plus guide to Node kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been pretty sweet. 
And the last one is a good, uh, just a good domain name service. I want my name.com. Um, I've been doing stuff for a client that uses GoDaddy and it's like being stabbed by like a thousand foot long sword. You just like keep getting stabbed forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I bought some domains myself on, I'm I want my name and it's been like getting little hugs from angels. It's, it's so much better. So it's really simple, really cheap, not spammy, really easy to use. It's, it's everything that GoDaddy is not. So have those you are my tried name.com? I have not tried name.com. No, that's a really nice one too. Very clean. And then of course, Google's is nice and they give you free privacy. Wait, what? You can buy domains through Google? Yeah, just uh, they don't they don't heavily advertise it. But if you just type in Google register domain, uh, it is the first link. And yeah, I don't know if I want them owning more of my digital life than they already do, though. <laughs> yeah, they own like all of my digital life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll look into it. Well, I, it's nice because you get Google Apps set up like from the get-go. So, you know, Gmail and all that. Um, and then, of course, you don't have to use Google Sites. I'd recommend that you don't because there's nothing you can do with it. Like there's no there's no scripting capabilities or yeah. anything. It's just like static files. And they're not even files. Like you can't even access the files. So they're terrible. Yeah, you're you're signing up for pain if you're signing up for Google Sites. My, my kids uh, charter school uses Google Sites for their website. And I've gotten pretty involved with the, the governing board for the school. And I keep complaining to them about the website. And they're like, yeah, we're planning on putting it on something else. And I'm just looking at them like, yeah, anything else, please. But but you don't have to go with that. I mean, I just want to make that clear. Like, I don't use Google Sites for any of the stuff, but I buy a lot of my domains through Google because it's cheap and they give you the privacy um, that most of the other ones charge like an extra four or five dollars for. Yeah, I've been um, I've I've used GoDaddy for a long, long time. And I finally am just totally fed up with them. And so oh, I've, terrible. I've actually been switching my stuff over to hover.com and uh, they're pretty cool. I actually need to get things worked out so that they can, they, they offer some kind of domain concierge service to, uh, to move the stuff over. And uh, I just need to work things out with them to get it all moved out. So anyway, um, I'll put them in as one of my picks because uh, I've been pretty happy with them. Their, their DNS. Oh, they look nice. Yeah. Their DNS uh, system on the back end is actually reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> so they have that going for them as well. Um, yeah. Anyway, so one other thing, since we're talking about razors, I'll, I'll go ahead and put a pick in as well. Um, for Father's Day, my wife got me an electric razor. Um, I had an electric razor way back in the day when I was in college. Man, that's been like eight years or something since I graduate, and it's been longer than that. <laughs> But it was a really, really, um, it was a really low quality one, and I just I didn't like the quality of the shave I got out of it or anything. So um, anyway, with this one, it's been pretty nice, and uh, so now I just grab it in the morning and spend two seconds shaving my face and. <laughs> I've been really happy with it. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of stuff going on lately. Um, and I had a pick ready. And I, I've totally just lost track of what it was. So because we're talking about all this other stuff. So um, maybe I'll pick it next week. Um, but one thing I do want to do is thank everybody who replied to me on Twitter. Um, I had a question about um, cross-domain scripting with JavaScript. And I looked at a few options, but I wanted to make sure that I hadn't missed any. And I got a whole slew of responses from people. And uh, what I'm working on is I'm working on a course on building JSON API. 
KPIs. Um, and by course, I mean a two-hour online training. Um, you can actually go and check it out at building online or buildingjsonapis.com. Um, the the site is a little bit of a work in progress, but you can go and sign up there. So uh, I recommend that you go do that and uh, just let me know if you have any feedback on the site or any of the material that I've put up there regarding what the course and what it's about. Um, other than that, uh, let's, oh, let's, yeah. I, I had one other thing, a request of our viewers. If anybody has ever done anything with like tryruby.org or tryhaskell.org um, and knows how to manipulate that. Um, I don't even know what his online screen name is anymore, but Eric Jacobs just bought tryjavascript.org um, and he keeps on changing his, his Twitter account. He can't settle on a name he wants to, to stick with in brand. But uh, anyway, so if you if you tweet at me, which is at KoolAge86, or um, jump on the Utah JavaScript mailing list, and you've got some ideas of what to put up on tryjavascript.org, um, we'd love to get something up other than my name, which is what he put on there right now. Yeah, you can also put um, you can also tweet to at JSJabber, which is the uh, Twitter account for the show, and we'll make sure that those get to the right place. All right. All right. Well, that's it. We'll we'll go ahead and end the show. We'll be on next week, and we'll see y'all then.